are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. This week I had a uh, pretty incredible experience getting to be at Nazarene Youth Conference with 104 of our students, with 300 from the Oklahoma District and a little over almost 9,000 from across the USA and Canada region. Uh, I can't even begin. Uh, People have asked me, how has the week been? And it's difficult for me to even find words to talk about how incredible the week has been. And I just want to say to you this morning, I just want to remind you uh, that back in February and all through this journey that 104 of our students have decided to go on, you have supported them along the way. In February at a pie auction, you guys raised $33,000 to help send them to NYC. $33,000 to help send them to Nazarene Youth Conference. You have sponsored them. You have given to them. You have responded in prayer. I I don't think I remember an NYC where more people from our church have told me that they are praying for this week. I I can't recall another NYC that I've seen on social media for people jumping online and watching services and, and praying for our kids. And I'm telling you, it has made a huge difference I was overwhelmed because two of the songs that we sang this morning, uh, flashbacks are happening to my, to my memory, listening to over 8,000 students and 1,000 sponsors stand and sing those songs to the one true God is overwhelming. Uh, if your kid is on the trip, uh, I think they'll get back safe. Uh, I'm not there, uh, but I think they will make it home just fine. But if your kid is on the trip, anticipate a change. Anticipate the fact that their life is probably going to be a little bit different. Anticipate the fact that they're going to see the world just a little bit different because they have been engaged in conversations about loving God and loving others for about six days. It's been an incredible week. They still have some more time. They're about to start worship here in just a few minutes. They're two hours behind us. So as we're journeying through this, you can just keep them in your minds and your prayers for what God wants to do in this last session. I had a little FOMO uh, flying back last night. I didn't, I didn't want to leave, but I wanted to preach. I was in kind of this, this real weird spot. I had FOMO because I knew what God was doing, and I also had FOMO because they're going to a water park this afternoon. And I don't know, but I can get down at a water park. I mean, I love nothing more than a bathing suit and some slides, all right? But uh, having FOMO, if you don't know what that is, that's fear of missing out, all right? And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's time to get with it a little bit. So it's been an incredible, incredible week. I'm going to pray for them real quick, pray for us as we get started here this morning. God, they're moments away in Phoenix, Arizona, at Nazarene Youth Conference. Thousands and thousands of students are moments away from hearing your voice, 
Lord, be with our band as they lead them in worship. Give them a spirit to lead in such a way. Lord, inspire them. Fill them with passion. Give them the voice and the energy to sing these songs of praise. And Lord, each one of our students from Bethany First Church, Lord, will you speak to them in a very real way in these next few moments? Will their hearts be changed? Will their lives be changed for you? God, thank you for this community in Bethany, Oklahoma, who is willing to invest in the lives of young people so that they can be transformed forever. We love you. Be with us today as we open your word. And everybody said together, amen, amen. Hey, when I was a senior in uh, college, I was attending Southern Nazarene University, incredible school. I love it so much, near and dear to my heart. And uh, I was coming up to the spring semester, and I had a friend uh, who said to me, he said, Hey, Chris, you know, have you ever thought about playing for the JV SNU soccer team? And I had this moment of looking at him like, do you think I play soccer? Like, look, you think this is a body that plays soccer? I was like, no, I've never thought about it. He said, man, you should. It's so much fun. The best part is, is we never practice. We just play games. And I was like, well, that's intriguing. <laughs> no practices, basically no hard work, show up and get the glory of the game. That's like the greatest sport ever. He said, you should really consider playing. You, you would have a lot of fun uh, playing JV soccer. And I said, okay, what do I have to do? Like, is that, like, is it a scholarship? He's like, oh, no, no, no. You don't have to do anything. Just show up. So I was like, I'm in. I want to play some soccer games for SNU. That sounds like a lot of fun. Now, here's the deal. There were some varsity players on the team, all right? There's, there's a few, and those guys actually play soccer, and they're actually very good. And then there was us, all right, that just, we didn't really play. We were just there for the glory, all right? So we're there, and I'm playing in the first game, and I remember uh, standing in the locker room and a little nervous uh, because I don't, I'm not a collegiate athlete. Uh, that's not something that, that I do. I, I didn't plan on being a, a college athlete, as I like to describe it. When I meet people, I say this all the time. I'm like, yeah, I was a college athlete. And they're like, football? No, soccer. JV, SNU, soccer. And so I'm in the locker room, and uh, coach is passing out these jerseys in the first game. And I remember he hands me a jersey, and, and I said, hey, coach, um, do you care? Can I get a can I get a two X? He goes, Holcomb, that is the two X. I was like, Oh, I remember putting on this soccer jersey, absolute Euro cut jersey. This thing was not made for me. I squeeze into this. I'm mortified. I'm out there on the soccer field, just skin tight jersey. I'm like, What am I doing? I am way out of my element. We continued to play games. We had a lot of fun uh, that entire season. Uh, I mostly rode the bench. I would get in a little bit in the second half. The last home game, we're playing Southwest Christian University right here, our rival. And we're all pumped up for the game. We're sitting in the locker room. Coach is going over some pregame stuff. And a few of the varsity players, they stand up and they started making this speech. And they started giving this speech. They said, you know, for the last game, uh, we really want to honor someone that's been on the team, uh, somebody who, is, who has just been a lot of fun. They've played really hard. And I'm looking around like, oh, man, someone's going to get to wear the captain band this game. And then all of a sudden they said, and the captain we select for today is Chris Holcomb. 
And I remember sitting in the locker room, I was fully expecting it to be this other guy. I mean, it should have probably been this other guy that was going to be selected captain for the last home game, and yet they chose me. And I remember just going, are you serious? They go, yeah, we're serious. And so they hand me the captain band, and I remember just putting it on my shoulder, wearing it with pride. I mean, I was so excited to be the captain of the SNU JV soccer team. And the good thing about being the captain means you get to start which I had never started a game all season long. And coach said, you know what else? In honor of Chris today, I know he doesn't like to wear these small Euro-cut jerseys. He said, so I went back into an old closet in the back of SNU, and I found some jerseys from the late 90s. And he pulls out these jerseys, and he tosses me a 2X, and it fit so perfectly. And I was like, this is amazing. Not only am I the captain, I have a jersey that actually fits me, which is a good thing because I invited a lot of friends to this game. And so there we are in the game against Southwest Christian University. And uh, it's two to two. We're tied in the second half. And I had gotten to play most of the game. And I'm in the game. and, And by the second half, here's the truth. We didn't practice. I didn't train. I was exhausted. We had been running around the field. We had been playing this entire game. So I was literally so tired, I thought I was going to throw up. I was like, if I run anymore, I'm going to lose it right here on the field. But I remember seeing Coach stand up because he could see how tired I was. I was basically ineffective at this point as a soccer player. And I see Coach, he's about to sub me out, but I know there's only a few minutes left. And he kind of gives a signal to me like this. And I said, Coach, don't sub me out. He goes, okay, I don't care. And he just turned around. He goes back to the bench, left me in for the rest of the game. We get to the end of the game, and my buddy Nick, who's actually a very good soccer player, with no time left, he gets fouled in the penalty box. He gets fouled in the goalie box. And they award Nick a penalty kick with no time left. He kicks this goal. We win the game. He misses. We tie. And I'm exhausted, and I'm like, well, we're about to win this game for sure. Nick's really good. And Nick looks at me, and he goes, Chris, Captain, you take the penalty kick. I'm like, I don't think you want to do that. I don't think so. He goes, no, Chris, this is your moment. You take the kick. I'm like, okay. So I'm this mixture of nerves, anxiety, honor, pride, a little bit of excitement all in one. The referee puts the ball down. I'm looking at the goalie. He's kind of jumping on the line. He's getting real excited. He has no idea what's coming for him. And I'm looking at the ball. I do a little stutter step. I've seen it in, like, the World Cup. You know, this is what they do. They do this. It's like, "Ah, I'm tricking you. I'm tricking you. When am I going to run and kick it? Like, goalie, he's all off kilter. I do that. I run up. I kick the ball. The goalie has to choose a side. He chooses to dive left. But here's what the goalie didn't know, and here's what I didn't know. I kicked that ball so soft. I mean, I kicked it so soft. Just the the softest little kick. The ball barely goes up in the air. It travels to the goalie. At the same time, the goalie has dive he's dove hard to the left and he realizes at the same time i realize it 
wow, you're a bad soccer player. Like, like you're so bad, you're about to score on me. Like, you're so bad, I dove so hard that I can't get to the ball now that's coming so softly right in the middle. And the goalie kind of makes an adjustment in the air, and it was so soft that he actually caught the ball between his knees. I'm not making this up. He literally adjusts, and he looks at the ball, and he, boop, catches it between his knees. I didn't score. Southwestern Christian goes crazy. I just fall on the ground in exhaustion. My team is just mortified. (laughs) And Nick comes up to me, why did you do that? I did not mean to. How do you see yourself? It's a question I want to ask us this morning. How do you see yourself? Because I can promise you this. Sitting in the locker room before that soccer game, I did not see myself as a captain. I did not see myself as the captain of the team. I was shocked when they had chosen me to lead and be the captain of that team on that, on that senior game. I did not see myself as a soccer player. I did not see myself as a collegiate athlete. But yet, I had some friends that for whatever reason... It wasn't because of my soccer skills, clearly. They saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. They saw something in me that I I didn't have the grace in my own life to see for myself. How do you see yourself? This morning I want to have a conversation about the way in which God sees us. The way in which God sees us sees us because the truth is is that often the way we see ourselves and the way God sees us is drastically different the way we see ourselves and the way God sees us is drastically different how do you see yourself what lens do you put on when you think about yourself and I'm not talking about the idea of what you see when you look in a mirror I'm not talking about this idea of maybe needing to lose a few pounds or starting to bald on top or maybe getting some white hairs or or the way, the clothes that you wear. or, Or I'm talking about deep character in your life. I'm talking about deep rooted identity in your life. How do you see yourself? Difficult question to answer one we don't often like to do. How do you see yourself? I want to go to Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bibles or your phones. Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 9. And this passage is is when Jesus calls Matthew. It's the calling of Matthew, one of his disciples. And I want to read this together, and then we're going to talk about it for a minute. So here we go. We ready? Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with them and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is the word of God for us today. As Jesus went on from there, he walked up and he saw a guy sitting at a tax collector's booth. He looked up and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. He walks right up to him and he says, follow me. I think about this part of this passage. And it begins to ask me this question. I begin to ask myself this question, what does Jesus see in Matthew? What does Jesus see in Matthew? Because I think what Jesus sees in Matthew, I know for certain Matthew doesn't see in himself. Matthew does not see himself the same way that Jesus sees him. And I know this because this same story is found in Mark and Luke. And both in Mark and Luke, it does not say there was a man named Matthew. In Mark and Luke, it says there was a man named Levi. And that's an interesting thing that I think we need to focus on this morning. There's a man named Levi. You see, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew calls himself Matthew. And the reason he does that is because that was his Greek name. Matthew was the name that he would take in Greek culture. In Roman culture, Levi was his name that his mama gave him when he was a kid in Jewish culture. You see, Levi was the name that he had all growing up. Levi is what his name would have been as he was being raised in a Jewish household, as he was learning the Torah and the Scriptures. You see, Levi was his true name. It was his identity. But as Matthew began to get a job as a tax collector, all of a sudden that social reputation began to go down. Jewish uh, culture would have begun to shun him. He would, they would have begun to move him away. And as ta- Pastor Timmy talked about last week, he told us what it was like for Zacchaeus to be a tax collector in a Jewish culture. If you haven't heard that sermon, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. You see, Matthew began to lose some of the identity that he once had. And he began to see himself the way in which everybody else began to see him. He began to take on the identities that others would. You're a cheat. You're a criminal. You're not one of us. You're not what, what you once were. And he began to take on the name Matthew. Despite the way society saw him, I believe so strongly that when Jesus saw him, he had a glimpse and a vision into who he was truly. All of a sudden, Jesus began to see something in Matthew that Matthew no longer could see in himself. 
You see, Jesus began to look at Matthew and he didn't see brokenness. He didn't see a criminal. He didn't see the sin. All of a sudden, Jesus looks at Matthew and he saw who he originally was and he says, you are my beloved. Matthew, you are the one that has potential. You are the one that has that it can have influence. You are the one that I can use. You are the one that I want to follow me. Follow me is translated into be my disciple. It is translated into do what I do. Mimic your life after me. Walk in step with me. Let me show you what I see. He says to him, follow me. You know, I wish in all three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I wish so much that maybe there was more dialogue. Maybe there was more narrative to this story, but the truth is, is I don't think there was. I think it happened that way. I think Matthew's at a tax collector's booth, and I think Jesus walks up to him, sees something inside of him, and then all Jesus says to him is, follow me. And Matthew just puts his stuff down and follows him. And I can't help but think, what is it about this Jesus guy that people over and over in Scripture continue to do that? What is it about him that when he encounters somebody in the real world, all Jesus has to say is, follow me, and they drop everything and follow him? What is it about him that people do this? It's so countercultural to us. If you were at work one day, and you're sitting there in your office or you're wherever it is that you work, and someone just walks into your work and says, hey, follow me. You'd be like, I get off at five. And uh, I could meet you for dinner and we'll talk about it. I get off a little later or I have a break here coming up and then I could follow you for a little bit, but my break's only like 30 minutes, you know, then I got to get back. Like, like, here's the thing. He has a job. He's working. When, when Matthew puts down the job and chooses to follow Jesus, he's fired. It's over. What is it about Jesus that he encounters these people? He walks up to them. People who are outside the fold of God. See, Matthew was way outside the fold of church. And he walks up to him, follow me. And Matthew stands up, quits his day job. And he follows him. There had to be something about him. There had to be something about Jesus. You see, when he would ask these people to follow him, in the beginning, there was no promise for a better life. It wasn't like they were leaving this job for something better. There was no promise for a better life. There's no dialogue that promises something better for Matthew or any of the other disciples. You see, there's no promise for more money or more success. There was nothing like that. There was no upward mobility here. It didn't come with benefits, and it definitely didn't come uh, with a a company donkey to ride around all day. It didn't have anything like that. It wasn't a promotion that they had been waiting for. In fact, it was the very opposite 
You see, following Jesus was signing up for uncertainty. It was actually signing up for conflict and pressure. It was signing up for sleepless nights. It was signing up for long days, learning these stories and these parables and these teachings from Jesus. It was signing up for travel, figuring out faith, trust, doubt, and sometimes even death. What was it about this guy that would meet these people and call them to follow him? And they would do it with that kind of uncertainty of their future. Yet over and over and over again, there's this attraction that people have to Jesus. This gravitational attraction. Everywhere He went, He would begin to attract people. He would inspire people. And I'm convinced this morning that it was because all of a sudden, for the first time ever, they were getting a true picture of God. For the first time ever, what they had read in Scriptures, studying their whole life as kids and into adults, all of a sudden they were starting to see that picture lived out in Christ. And they started to hear these stories. And all of a sudden, this perfect love that He was beginning to show, this holiness and this righteousness that God was using in the Son of Jesus Christ. They begin to see it. They begin to notice it. All of a sudden, this guy has the power to heal. And they became attracted and inspired by the influence that God had given him. How does God see you? How do you see yourself? And how does God see you? Those are two drastically different things. I know for me in my own life, it's one of the things that I've struggled with most is beginning to have the confidence that this is how God sees me because when I look at my own life, it's tough not to see the brokenness. It's tough not to see the bad decisions and bad choices that I've made. It's tough not for those things to be the things that define me. It's way harder for me every morning to remind myself when I wake up in the morning that wait a second, brokenness isn't going to define me today. God is. The fact that I am beloved by Him. The fact that I am a son of His. The fact that He gave His entire life for me so that I can have communion with the Father. The fact that my sin is not what identifies me, but God's grace is what identifies me. is one of the more difficult things that I've ever journeyed in my own life. Do we see ourselves as beloved sons and daughters of Christ? Or do we just see ourselves the way the world wants us? The way the world sees us? I believe that, uh, that as we begin to identify the way in which God sees us, as we begin to believe that, I believe it begins to change the way in which we see others. I think it's very difficult for us to see others the way in which God 
loves them, the way in which, uh, the way in which God gives them grace when we don't see ourselves that way. And I believe so strongly that if we can get to a place where we buy in and believe the fact that God truly does love us that much, it begins to change the way in which we see others. I love verse 10. It says this, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors? I love this moment in this passage. Because here is Jesus at this absolute dinner party. And when I was reading some commentaries about what that party would have been like, they they described it that it would have probably been 20 to 40 people who had just bought into the invitation that Jesus had given them. It would have been 20 to 40 people who were completely outside the realm in the fold of God. And Jesus had invited them to this dinner party, just like Matthew was invited, and they would have accepted. Imagine going to a party where everybody who had just attended had just given their life to Christ. You know that moment when you meet somebody who has just given their life to Christ? They are just so excited. They're amped up. They want everybody to know their story. They want everybody to know what God has done in their life. That's what this dinner party would have been like. And the Pharisees are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. These are sinners. Why? Why does Jesus eat with those sinners? And Jesus says, listen up. It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This week, uh, I sent a good friend of mine this passage of Scripture, and I I shot him a text. I said, hey, uh, read through Matthew 9. Give me a couple quick thoughts. Give me anything that sticks out to you in this passage I did not realize that uh, my friend was going to be so bought in to that text message. Over the next four days, he is just flooding my phone, just sending text and pictures and screenshots and thoughts about this passage. And, And he has no idea, but he actually sent me more content and material in those text messages than all the commentaries I read on this passage. I mean, God was just using this passage in his life, and, and he just, he would say, he would send me a, a, a long text, and then at the bottom it would say, more to come, dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, wow, you are really blowing up my phone, but I love it. One of the things he said in this text message, and one of the thoughts he put, he asked this question, and it's a question that I have been wrestling with since I read it. Who are the sick? Who are the sick in 2019? Who are the sick in 2019? It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm not here for the healthy. I'm here for the broken. I'm here for the ones that don't see themselves the way that I see them. I'm here for the sick. And go and learn 
what this means. This week, uh, one of the night sessions at uh, NYC for all of our students uh, was incredible. They had uh, these two guys who are Nazarene guys, but they've been best friends since they were kindergartners. Best friends for over 40 years. I mean, I I couldn't believe the friendship that these two guys had. And both of them were speaking at one of the night sessions, and, and one of them is bound to a wheelchair because several years ago, he, he, he started to develop a disease that's similar to ALS. It's not exactly like ALS, but it affects the body in a very similar way. And so over the years, all of a sudden, it has begun to, to uh, his break down his nervous system, and, and he can't use his arms and his legs the way that he once could, and, and eventually it will take his life. And he stands up there and he tells us his story of his process and his journey that he's gone through with this disease. And his best friend of over 40 years is telling the story with him. And it was this really beautiful picture of a friendship and God's love. But one of the things that stood out to me in the story is the best friend. He said, for years, I was so angry. I was so angry at God, I nearly couldn't even worship Him. When I would go to church, I I nearly couldn't even raise my hands. I had a difficult time even praying. I was so angry at God on behalf of my friend. He said, one day, I'm pushing my friend through the lobby of our church, and a gentleman comes up to us, and we start having a conversation. And the gentleman asks My friend, he says, if you could go back, if you could go back, would you have God change what happened to you? And he said, what a stupid question. Of course he would. He absolutely would change what happened to you. Do you not know our journey? Do you not know the experiences that we've had? It's been horrible. He's got a wife and three kids. Of course he would change. What happened to him? And he said he waited for him to respond in that way. But he said, no. Nope. I wouldn't change a single thing about my life. And the friend said in that moment, all of a sudden God just rained down his mercy on his life. And all of a sudden in that moment, God just broke him down in such a way that he had never experienced before. And all of a sudden he said, I realized that it was not my friend who was going to die of a horrible disease that needed a miracle and healing. It was him. He says, it's not my friend that needs a miracle. It's me. He says, it's not my friend that's sick. It's me. He said his whole life, his entire life, he's been to church where he's heard the statement, you are the hands and feet of God. He said, I've heard it a million times. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. Go and be the hands and feet of Jesus over and over again. Church people, we've heard it. He said in that moment, God says this is what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You be His hands. You be His feet.
You are his miracle. You are his healing. They have a journey. I encourage you guys uh, to listen to it. I think it's coming out in a documentary or a book or something, but it's called I Will Push You Two Nazarene Friends. It's going to be an incredible thing. I think it's going to hit really well if it's not already out. I will push you because they tell this journey of them as they decide to take their friend who is, who is suffering from this disease and they go on a 36-day European backpacking trip through the Pyrenees Mountains. And the body of Christ carried him up and over every single one of those mountains. It was an inspiring story. Who are the sick in 2019? You and I know for certain that physical healing is a part of the sick. You and I know for certain that there are people in our life that we pray for every day for God to come in and do a healing that we believe strongly that God can do. And we need to keep praying for those kinds of physical healing. That's an aspect of those who are sick in 2019. But I think for some of us, there's a deeper level of who is sick. And I think the sick in 2019, as I've been praying and reflecting on it, is you and me. I think it's aspects of you and me. I think it's parts of us, of people who have done church a long time. Who we've walked this road with God for a long time. And maybe sometimes we forget. Maybe we've forgotten our calling. Maybe we've forgotten a little bit of our purpose. Maybe the sick is those of us who have forgotten the way that God truly does see us. Who is the sick in 2019? And Jesus says, but go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means. I think this passage right there, this sentence, we often just read over. He's telling his disciples, are you listening to me? Who are the sick? Go and learn. Go find out who are the sick in your community. Go find out who's the sick in your family unit. Go find out who's the sick at your work and in your friend group. Go find out if you are sick. Go and learn what this means. I believe to the core of me that if the body of Christ, if you and I as Christ followers can somehow buy in to the way in which God truly does see us, that we don't become defined by the things in our life, but we truly can see this is who I am in Christ. This is who I truly am. My name is not Matthew. It is Levi. I have forgotten who I am. I believe that 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 kind of vision begins to change the way in which we see others. All of a sudden, we begin to see others the way God sees them. With grace in love, an unconditional love. So I want to invite the band back up as we wrap up here this morning. So here's what I want to do. I want this moment to, to be a response for you.
I want you to think about these questions. I don't want these questions to leave you. I want you to think about them uh, throughout this entire week. I hope that things happen in your life that, that trigger back to answering some of these questions. How do you see yourself? I mean, how do you really see yourself? How does God see you? Who are the sick among us? Is it us? Who are the sick among you? What does God want you to see in others? How do you see yourself? How does God see you? Who are the sick among you? And how does God want you to see others? You see, God has this crazy vision. He has this insane vision, and he put it in the person of Christ. And as Jesus encountered these people, he saw something that they could not see for themselves. He saw something in them that only God could see. And the rest of the world says, this is who you are. This is your identity. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I invite you to follow me because I see a potential for influence. I see a potential for you to be somebody who can love others. I see something inside of you. I have a grace for you that I am currently the only one who can see because you don't see it for yourself. I believe that God sees something in you. So as we worship, as we take this time, it's totally open. If you just want to stand and pray, stand and pray. If you want to come down and pray at the altar, if that's a moment that you just want to spend with God, there's something about moving forward that just kind of separates this moment between you and God. They're they're open. But this moment is for you to respond and worship. Don't miss it. Spend Spend some time with Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. And then we'll worship. Will you stand with me? Father, if we are sick, if we're the ones in 2019 that are sick, will you forgive us? Will you give us mercy? Lord, will you forgive us if we haven't seen ourselves the way you see us? Will you give us grace? Will you give us the courage to respond, to spend these next few moments worshiping you, crying out to you? And Lord, if we're ready, will you give us a call? So that as the body of Christ, we can begin to look in the world and accept the grace you've given us and so that we can begin to give that to others who desperately need it. So God, push us. Move us. Speak to us in these next few moments. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org